want to welcome you to our church and wonderful Word of God at People's Valley Baptist Church. For the next few minutes, we'll be taking the Word of God and sharing our blessings with you into your homes. Please come and join us and worship with us at People's Valley Baptist Church located at 68 Ledford Lane, Cartersville, Georgia. May God bless you as we go in to the precious Word of God. Uh, I hope and pray that uh, you can glean something uh, from this study, that it will help you to have the principles, the tips, the solutions, no matter where you're at in your marriage relationship. Our uh, desire is that this Bible study on Are We There Yet for Marriages will clarify the place in your marriage and reveal a God-given perspective that can change and strengthen any marriage that is in the world. Every couple has realities that affect and show up on their journeys of life, and I hope and pray that this Bible study will help reconnect marriages and make commitments stronger uh, to come across this entire uh, country. Let's open up with a word of prayer, and then we'll get right into our dream destination uh, that uh, we'll start out with, which deals with our direction out of Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Heavenly Father, help us to remember that you, as your peculiar people, we Christians have always been strangers and sojourners on the earth. Remind us that it's not our job to direct the destinies of nations, but simply to shine for you and to reflect your image and to bloom for Christ wherever you choose to plant us. Father, in that spirit in America, inspire us to seek our country's peace and well-being, even as Jeremiah instructed the Jewish exiles to work for the peace of the city to which they had been carried captive. Teach us through this Bible study Lord, we pray that you would give us consistently on his behalf, knowing that in its welfare we'll find peace for ourselves. Never let us forget that uh, what may uh, come out of our calling from this study, that we'll always obey God rather than man. Father, thank you, because we know that we're not without hope. God has provided a powerful tool for believers. And through the power of prayer, we make our commitment to you and to this nation and to People's Valley Baptist Church. May God use our prayers to strengthen families and to bring healing to America. And Lord, I pray that may we clarify the place in our marriage relationship and reveal the God-given perspective that can change and strengthen any marriage in the world. In Jesus' marvelous mighty name, amen. All right, as we start out, in our Bible study, we realize uh, that uh, in Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25, we begin to realize that uh, this is a very, very powerful uh, marriage study 
uh, that we're going to be going into, amen. And so I thank God as each and every one of us, as we uh, uh, take our Bibles and turn over to Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, amen, it's nothing like as we turn those pages in the Bible, amen, Genesis chapter 2, starting with verse 18. We're going to read all the way down to verse 25. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmate for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a help meet for him. Boy, ain't that good? And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. That's the complete reading that we have of Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 down to verse 25. Now, you know, many people, they think of marriage more as a, as a destination than a journey. They, they look forward to getting married and then they assume once that they've reached that milestone that they've arrived at where they need to be. But really, in reality, marriage is far more of a journey than it is a destination. You see, God designed it to be an awesome journey. And in this first Bible study, we take a, a giant big picture and we look at God's purposes for marriage and the direction that he has in mind for our journey. Boy, you know, uh, as we look and realize that each and every one of us, as we go through this study, we need to recognize that marriage is one of God's greatest gifts and a relationship to be developed over a lifetime. We've got to commit to the work of intertwining our lives with one another, and we've got to see our relationship as an opportunity to picture one of the most amazing loves of Christ and the grace of the gospel. Christ showed us the love first on the cross when he gave himself sacrificially and took our place on that cross. And so we'll be talking about the idea of marriage, the bond of marriage. And then lastly but not least, we'll be talking about in our Bible study the strength of marriage. Here, the ideal of marriage, the bond of marriage, and the strength of marriage. Because I think God, you know, if you really want to get to know somebody, you should, you know, go on a trip together with them. I tell everybody in our church 
Listen, you need to go through a whole season with that individual and know them in four seasons before you commit to marry them. You need to see what it's like when it's raining. You need to see what it's like with them when it's hot, when it's cold, when the wind's blowing, uh, when the leaves are falling off the trees. All the seasons, you need to take that time, amen. And so I thank God, uh, every one of us, as we look and realize that uh, between the time together and the unique frustrations, you know, travel has a way of drawing someone's hidden personality to the surface and giving insight into the habits and the preferences and the character of that individual. You know, a lot of couples, they begin marriage with the idea that marriage itself is a destination. But we don't express it that way. We approach our wedding with a subconscious expectation that once we pull away in our rental car with cans clanging off the bumper and we we are finally there, but along the way, perhaps even on our honeymoon, we discover that as wonderful as marriage may be, it's more of a journey than it is a destination. Rather than being an island of unending bliss and nonstop fulfillment, it's a long road trip, the kind of trip where you're excited for the destination, love the memories along the way, and sometimes get annoyed when the aspects of our journey. But, you know, marriage is, is a long journey. God intended it to be the kind of journey that gets better the longer that you're on it. And if you're still engaged or just newly married and you're listening to this Bible study, uh, you know, maybe, uh, maybe uh, you, uh, you may not believe that marriage could possibly get any better than, than, uh, than what you've envisioned for the first few months of your new life together. But, you know, as you take those daily strolls into the sunset and alternating and making each other breakfast in bed and romantic evenings of all the things that newlyweds do, this is the stuff of marriage, right? I'm going to tell you, every one of us, as we look and realize that uh, uh, it's something that all of us have to work at. Every one of us, if you're on the other hand, you're, you're approaching this study as an, uh, 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 an effort to save your marriage. You may be convinced that marriage gets worse over time, and you're just about ready to call it quits. You know, no more daydreaming of the strolls into the sunset, for you can hardly stand to be together in the same room. I'm going to tell you, I've married a lot of couples over the past years of being a pastor. And you know what? I saw a lot of them work at it and make it. And I saw some of them just have a knockdown, drag out fight. And then you look and you realize, I don't think there's no hope for this couple. Uh, they're not wanting, they're not willing to sacrifice and try to make it work. Because today, it's so easy to quit and give up on a commitment just because you know you can. And, uh, you just ready to go start with another man or another woman and just drop that person. I won't pretend that every day of marriage is filled with heart, uh, uh, nonstop romances and uh, laughter and smiles. Yet some of the best experiences that couples on their journey are found in those real life moments. 
as they see and as they receive God's grace through each other. And so, although no marriage has only the kinds of moments that you want to post on social media, when the journey is shared by two people who desire to walk in God's ways and are determined to stay faithful to one another, they can be wonderful years that get better with each anniversary. Currently, right now, I dated my wife for a year, and we've been married for 33 years. And uh, there's, there's, there's a lot of work that's been involved in that on both our parts that we've had to work at to get to that destination. Are we there yet? No, no, we're not. But although no marriage has only the kinds of moments that you, you, know, you look for because you know, a great marriage is like a great travel experience. It doesn't just happen. I've been to a lot of countries and a lot of places, been in the military, and it takes a plan and a willingness to move in the direction of that plan. And that's what this Bible study, uh, Are We There Yet?, is, is about. Uh, it's biblically focusing our God to help us invest in the areas that make for an amazing journey together. Now, I'm doing this in a Bible study, not really so much in, in our church because I've got a lot of widow women. They're hurt. Their husbands have passed away. And you know what? The last thing they want to hear from the pulpit is me getting up there and doing a marriage Bible study because they're hurting. They're grieving right now. But then there's so many other couples right now that are starting out. There's so many other couples that are struggling right now. And uh, do I uh, do it for them or, or do I leave it alone because of those grieving widows? Well, my way I'm doing it is I'm just putting it on uh, on our uh, uh, Facebook and our sermon audio for uh, our Bible study that way. And uh, that's what this study is about. All the journey of marriage is designed by God to be an amazing and profound thing. It's not the kind of trip that really that you expect to just, you know, to be able to coast through and, and hope you end up somewhere that you like. Because this is the kind of trip that you've got to take with an intention and an understanding of the destination that God created for it. And so as we look closer, what does a dream destination look like? First of all, of the three things that we said, first of all, the idea of marriage. Have you or your spouse ever argued about who came up with a good idea? Well, you know, marriage uh, isn't just a good idea. It's an incredible idea, and it was God. I bet, I bet Adam did a couple of spiritual backflips when he first saw Eve. He ain't never saw nothing like her. And, of course, they weren't ashamed uh, uh, when he looked. But, man, I'm going to tell you, I believe he did a couple of backflips. He said, wow, man, look at Eve. Look at this woman. You see, in Proverbs 30, verses 18 19, Solomon lists some things which are too wonderful for me, the Bible says. He further defines wonderful as which I know not. Other words, these are things that are full of wonderful, wonder mind blowing, astonishing, and it's the combination of his list, the way of a man with a maid. Because I thank God, each and every one of us, there'll be three things which are too wonderful for me, yea, four, which I know not, the way of an eagle in the air, the way of a serpent upon a rock, the way of a ship in the midst of the sea, and the way of a man with a maid. Bingo, ding, ding, the mystery and the intricacy 
of marriage as God designed it is miraculous. Because it is incredible in its beauty, in its magnificence, in the tenderness. We read about the first wedding ever in Genesis chapter 2. Hallelujah. Verses 18 down to verse 26. It's an incredible story. This passage is so significant that it's referenced no less than four times in the New Testament, including by Jesus himself. And there's so much truth packed into these few verses this truth about God, about marriage, about building a God-honoring marriage and loving your spouse. It's sad to see this new generation out there today because none of them want to make a commitment. They want to shack up and live with somebody and uh, then have kids and then live off the taxes and not even claim uh, uh, that they're married. Yes, it, it does, but think of the commitment that you're making to God. And what you're doing is is living together as two separate people, still having a family and raising it and taking money from the government. You know that's wrong. You think God's going to bless you for cheating and, uh, and, and living a lie, trying to raise a family, and you ain't even made a single commitment. And so we see, first of all, that uh, marriage is created by God. It was God who said Adam shouldn't be alone. It was God who made Eve. It was God who brought them together in a sacred union that would bring a mutual satisfaction. Marriage originated in the heart of God who perfectly designed it and beautifully created it. Mark chapter 10 verses 7, 8, 9 says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. The originator of this gift, God, has purposed for it. And all of us, as we look at this Bible study, we discover and we live out those purposes, those experiences of marriage the way God meant it to be. And so marriage was created by God, and marriage was designed by God. Marriage wasn't just God's idea, it was His design. And all throughout the creation, we, God looked at what He had made, and He saw that it was good. But on the final day of creation, after He created Adam and Eve, and He brought them together, He saw that it was very good. Amen? Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Look around and say, very good. Amen. You know? And so I thank God, each and every one of us, when we realize that in this first marriage, we see two purposes of God's design, companionship, and completion. You see? We see... The design of companionship and completion is what it does. Uh, you know, as uh, each and every one of us uh, go through life, we realize that, yes, our partner, our, our spouse, they complete us. And uh, they give us the companionship that we need. Marriage at its deepest level is a friendship. And I don't mean that this in the way that that awkward teens say, hey, can we just be friends? But in the sense that God designed marriage to give the companionship and the completion which he created every one of us to need because there is a need there in all of our lives that we go through. 
And so, you know, I'm glad that it's interesting to know that even before sin entered the world, when Adam had perfect fellowship with God, God said, it is not good that man should be alone. This need for a partner. It it wasn't due to any imperfection in Adam, but to his created purpose. It's hardwired into our souls to crave companionship. And one of the ways, perhaps the pinnacle way God designed for that need to be met is through marriage. That's right. The many hundreds of thousands of, of youngsters out there and couples out there that they're just living out there shacked up. And that is why it's so important that married couples give careful attention to the relational aspects of marriage. Communication, acceptance, conflict, resolution, spending quality time together, and many other topics that we look at through this Bible study. But it wasn't just companionship. What else was the other one? Completion. Companionship. Completion. God made Adam and Eve in a way that they perfectly completed one another. I'm glad that the old-fashioned uh, uh, suck-air preacher out there would be uh, saying things three times. He'd say, hey, companionship, companionship, companionship. He'd say uh, that uh, not only was it companionship, completion, completion, completion. That old hard uh, uh, fire and brimstone preacher that would say everything in threes. Companionship, 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 completed, completed, completed. You see, someone asks children questions about marriage and their answers will shed some light, but how do you decide who to marry? You got to find somebody who likes the same thing that you like. Like if you like sports, she should like it, that you like sports, and she should keep uh, all of the things going the way they should. No person really decides before they grow up, before they're going to marry. God decides it all the way before, and you get to find out later who you're stuck with a lot of times. And, and so, you know, each and every one of us, when we look at all of how can a stranger tell if two people are married, you might have to guess based on whether they seem to be yelling at the same kids. And, and so the companionship of marriage, of course, is deeper than someone who can help you in the areas where you are are uh, uh, going through uh, uh, a time of challenge. It's, it's a spiritual, emotional, and physical intimacy of two lives. And yes, it is very good. The first wedding ceremony in the Bible was the magnificent picture of the way God designed Adam and Eve to perfectly complete one another. We see this even in the words used in Genesis to identify them. The Hebrew word for man is ish, but the word that translates as woman is isha. Literally means from man and explains Adam's statement. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. You know, if marriage to you is little more than a, than a partner for sex or for someone to pay the bills or a person to enjoy in whatever capacity, on a as-needed basis, you're missing the fullness of what God is trying to break out in the book of Genesis chapter 2 because God intended the companionship of marriage to be spiritual, emotional, physical intimacy of two lives. 
And so each and every one of us, when we look at our dream destination, here we're looking at our direction. And each and every one of us, it is an interlocking of our souls. The depth of the relationship that God designed for marriage, as you read Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, he tells us, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. One flesh. Hey, this isn't natural. A bond this close is a miracle of God. And I'm going to tell you, what does a dream destination look like? Well, first of all, we said there's the idea of what marriage is. And from that idea of marriage that we see that it was created by God and it was designed by God, you know? But secondly, we see the bond of marriage. Does what we have uh, a scene of God's design for marriage, does it sound something that's really unrealistic? Does it sound like it's unattainable? You know, how do you get there from where you are right now? Three men that are hiking through a forest when they came upon a large, raging, violent river, okay? They got to get over on the other side, and the first man prayed, now God, please give me the strength to cross this river. Hmm? Poof! God gave him big arms and strong legs and he was able to swim across it in about two hours, even with having almost drowned twice. And after witnessing that, the second man prayed, God, please, please give me strength and the tools to cross that river. Poof! God gave him a rowboat and strong arms and a strong legs, and he was able to row across in about an hour after almost capsizing once. Well, seeing what happened to the first two men, the third man prayed, God, please, please give me the strength, the tools, and the intelligence to cross this river. You know, each and every one of us the story goes, poof, he was turned into a woman. She checked the map. She hiked 100 yards upstream, walked across the bridge. Thankfully, the instructions God gives for forming the bond he designed for marriage are clear and straightforward from the first mention of marriage in Scripture. Amen? And so, Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 describes three aspects of it. And you can remember that these three rhyming words about leaving, cleaving, and weaving. Hey, we're doing that old-fashioned preacher stuff again that is said all in threes when they suck wind and blow it back out. Leaving and cleaving and weaving. Leaving and cleaving and weaving. Leaving and cleaving and weaving. Man. And so what do we see? As we look at this, we begin to realize that uh, uh, as the idea of marriage that we talked about where it was created by God, it was designed by God, but now we're talking about the bond of marriage, and we're talking about three things, leaving, cleaving, and weaving. And the first thing that we see is leaving, because he tells us in Scripture, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother. You know, when you look at the context in which this was first stated, the verse is almost comical that he's telling us about this, amen, because I thank God. Uh, he says in verse 24 
that as a man leaves his father and his mother and he cleaves unto his wife, they shall be one flesh. But I thank God, each and every one of us, when we go through life and we realize that this truth is so foundational to a healthy marriage that God included his leaving instruction in the record of that first marriage. The word leave, it comes from the Hebrew word azab. And it means to loosen, relinquish. It speaks of severance. When a man and a woman join in marriage, they are establishing a new identity together that necessitates leaving their previous individual identities physically and emotionally. And we often illustrate this in weddings with the unity candles. As the bride and the groom use the two candles that are lit previously in the ceremony to light the single unity candle. And then, all of a sudden, they can't get the candle to blow out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they blow out the individual candles because their unity candle is still lit. And it's the eternal flame that represents two coming together as one. This symbol doesn't mean that the, the bride and the groom have lost their personal identity, but that they are leaving their previous family units and their identities are separate from each other to create a new home in which they are inseparably joined. This leaving, not just the physical leaving, but the emotional leaving as well is vital to that new marriage. Couples need to leave behind the expectations and the emotional baggage of that past, how her father treated her mother, and the expectations his father had for his mother. You see, even in the homes with a very strong, healthy marriage, and especially in homes with a troubled, oh my goodness, dysfunctional or broken down marriage, there are pieces of the past that need to be left behind. You know, there's some parents that have such an anger and such bad habits that they've rubbed all those terrible, nasty, bad habits off onto their children, whether it's the daughter or the son, and they inherit those nasty, ugly-looking habits that you pushed off on your children, and it will cause them a lifetime of misery in their marriage. Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing that I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Idyllically, before marriage, couples should identify and then refuse to carry into their marriage the anger the indifference, the non-communication, and the other habits that may have been a part of their upbringing from those bad habit parents. But even after marriage, as you detect those trends in your life, remember there are some things that must be left behind to create a strong, healthy relationship. And, you know, it doesn't mean that you should forget your past or turn your back on your family because as we look at our dream destination as this is talking about the first wedding in the bible it's given us direction in our lives as a young couple in fact you should learn what you can from your parents and do all that you can to maintain a strong relationship with them but at some point you need to recognize the distinction between learning 
that we were talking about and now leaving. Because first of all, we talked about leaving, but the second thing that we're talking about is cleaving and shall cleave unto his wife. God designed marriage to be a relationship where partners cleave to one another like glue. They're inseparable. Are you what? Are you always calling your parents, your dad, or your your mom over uh, because of something that's going on in your marriage? You need to cut every bit of that out. No wonder you got marriage problems because you have not cleaved unto your husband the way that you should have. No wonder you can't keep the commitment. Or... Uh, Husband, no wonder you can't keep the commitment because you haven't cleaved and you're uh, you're back with your parents and you're listening to their ideas and all of their things. No, 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 no. No, y'all, uh-uh, no. Don't be listening to all of that stuff. This word speaks of a total acceptance and unconditional love and respect for one another. And when God brought Eve to Adam, his immediate response was full and unconditional acceptance. And so what did... What did it say in the first marriage ceremony in Genesis chapter 2, verse 23? And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This is every woman's dream that a man would give her this absolute acceptance and truth to be told. It's a man's dream too. The story is told of a young bride who on the day of her wedding was almost paralyzed by fear that she would mess the ceremony up. You know, I've met a lot of them like that. They, they're they so worried about that. Hey, put that on the preacher. That's, that's what I do. Put it on me uh, when it comes to that. But just before Dad walked her down the aisle, he told her, look, it's simple. There are just three words you need to remember. The aisle, the altar, and him. You walk down the aisle, you pause at the altar, and the soloist will sing a hymn. And from there, as the father explained to his young daughter, the pastor will take over the ceremony and just remember the aisle, the altar, and the hymn. So the bride remembered what her father said as, you know, as everything began to get ready for the wedding ceremony. And uh, and so as they walked in together, over and over in her mind, she repeated the words that her father had told her. The aisle, the altar, and the hymn. The aisle, the altar, and the hymn. The aisle, the altar, and the hymn. And that, as the story goes, is how women go into marriage with the idea that I'll alter him. Huh. You see, truthfully, many people, they don't approach marriage with the idea that they can change their spouse after they're married. Because after marriage, most spouses find out that changing another person is not only impossible. You see, those are the things in that one-year period that you should have discovered. But attempting to do so is damaging to their relationship. Because you should have already found that out. And the instruction of Genesis chapter 2 for a couple to cleave to one another includes that we accept and love our spouse for who they are. Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 28-29, he says, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. You see, 
total acceptance and unconditional love are not common in today's relationship. Some would even say that it is impossible or it's even foolish because the world believes that couples who stay married 50, 60, and 70 years must have been perfect for each other. No, you've got to work at it. You've got to work at it. And, and so, you know, uh, every one of us, success is rooted in the fact that they were not just too lucky people who found their soulmates and that the rest of us mortals are foolish to insist on cleaving to one another during the times of pain or difficulty because that's sometimes how it is. There'll be times of pain that you cleave to each other and it is so difficult, but you've got to work through the problem to find the solution. And so the world is so wrong. Marriage, as God designed it, carries a commitment to cleave, to hold on to your spouse. Boy, I tell you, one thing I can say about good Catholics, one good thing that I, about being around, now I'm Baptist, but I've been around a lot of Catholics, and one thing I've got to commend all of those in the Catholic Church, and they've got a great program that they put their couples through, but a lot of majority of your Catholics, they stay married through thick and thin. Because they realize that it's not just a journey. It's a destination. A dream destination. There's a direction that is involved, amen. And so here, it's a decision that you make that when you exchange your marriage. And I'm going to tell you, each and every one of us, when we go through life, when you begin to exchange your marriage vows with one another, and a decision that you keep every day of your lives as you freely give acceptance and you refuse to let your hearts wander from one another. Uh-oh, you got to you got to looking over at the other grass that you thought was so green. Man, you see, when we're dealing with uh, marriage, each and every one of us, it's about the bond of marriage. It's about leaving. It's about cleaving. But that third thing that we said was weaving. Because, and they shall be one flesh. This is where the real work of marriage comes in. It is the intertwining of our lives that happens over time. And it is the stuff of marriage. Woo! Stuff your peppers with that, hallelujah. Praise his name. Because in one sense, this becoming one flesh is to take place on your wedding day. You know, as the writer of Hebrews says, marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. Paul said in Corinthians, let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Marital intimacy is a gift of God. The physical celebration of oneness and unity. But the weaving of two lives together is more than physical and it takes place through daily decisions to pursue your spouse's heart and to draw each other in acceptance, to entwine your lives around each other. That's why the dream destination of direction, it takes these things, you know? The weaving of two lives together is more than just physical. It takes place through 
Again, daily decisions to pursue your spouse's heart, to draw near to each other. I say it again, in acceptance to entwine your lives around each other. Weaving in the fullest sense, it cannot happen without spiritual growth together. Christ has got to be in the center of that marriage. Uh-oh, one of you didn't tell the other one that, oh, you're lost. You don't know Jesus Christ. You're going to have problems. You know why? Because you're unevenly yoked. That's right. You're not evenly yoked together. And so you're not pulling the same weight because one of you is still living for the devil and the other one is living for the Lord. Uh-oh. When you take two lives who are committed to one another and are daily drawing nearer to the Lord, amen, 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 there is an intertwining that is taking place, praise God, and of souls that is constantly being strengthened by the power of Almighty God. This isn't the result of one day, but it's the habits carried out day after day, praying together, reading God's word together, worshiping together, serving together, living out God's will with one another. Many couples don't pursue this type of intimacy, but each partner hopes for his or her personal gratification. But you know what? Neither has a real long-term goal of weaving their lives together. But the end goal that God has in mind for your marriage, two lives intertwined with one another as they grow together. So what does a dream destination look like? It's direction as God started out with the very first marriage in Genesis chapter 2 about directing our lives. And we talked about three things. We've talked about the idea of marriage and how that it was created by God. It was designed by God. We talked about the bonding of marriage. It's the leaving, it's the cleaving, and it's the weaving. Man, you can't leave it to beaver as that show goes. Leaving, cleaving, and weaving. But the third thing that we talk about in our Bible study is very powerful. It deals with the strength of marriage. Marriage, a wonderful uh, melting of two lives that's designed to last. You know, Jesus talked about marriage. He highlighted the truth and he began to quote from and expound on Genesis chapter 2, because when you go over in Matthew chapter 19, starting with verse 4, the Bible says, And he answered and he said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they, listen, twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. You see, God designed the bonding of marriage to be stronger than momentarily shared interest. Oh yeah. Oh, y'all done had a couple kids and now you're ready to call it quits. Oh my God, where did you go wrong? When you, you know, oh, the, you know, the union that grows stronger through the ups and the downs of life. 
Man, when you're apart from one another, you should have been on the phone every day. Honey, sweetheart, uh, uh, sweetie thing, uh, honey, sugar pie. You ought to have been talking on that phone if it was a distance, and you ought to have been keeping in touch right every single night, talking to each other to sleep. The union that grows stronger through the ups and downs of life, it doesn't happen by an accident. It takes purpose, and it takes commitment. And so I thank God when we begin to look and realize that through uh, the strength of marriage, we see that it's based on commitment. Let me say that again. The strength of marriage is based on commitment. Marriage by God's design is to be one man plus one woman for one lifetime. Woo! Hallelujah. And this is why at a wedding, couples exchange vows not sign contracts. You know, when a couple purchases a home, they sign a mortgage contract with a bank. I've done sign several of them because I've had several homes. But this document includes many contingencies, noting that if either party defaults in specific aspects of that agreement, the other is released from their obligation to the contract. But marriage is different. A marriage ceremony is not the exchange of contracts, but the exchanging of vows. And I'm glad that not only is it that, the ring ceremony means something. Because it's a circle of a ring that you put on your finger that is that there's no end to. Those are the things that you made based on commitment. And so at your wedding, you, you likely repeated vows similar to these I uh I take thee to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, or for poorer. Every one of us went along some of those vows that we made in sickness and in health to love and to cherish till death do us part. Uh, is it coming back to you yet? Marriage is not a 50-50 proposition in which each can expect the other to carry half the load and assume if the other doesn't keep their half, they're free to drop their own. Uh-uh. Marriage is 100%, 100% commitment in which each spouse promises to wholly give themselves to the other regardless of how well the other is doing. And so we know from the Bible that while God loved loves all people, he hates divorce. Did you hear that? He hates divorce. Malachi chapter 2 verses 14, 15, 16 Yet ye say, Wherefore, because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant? And did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one, that he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord, the God of Israel, said that he hath putteth away, for one covereth, covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit that ye deal not treacherously. You see, the Jewish men, if they found something that they didn't like about their wife, they could go out and publicly they could say it three times. I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, and they were divorced. But you know what? I'm glad that they make it harder for uh, couples to get a divorce today. Because when it's so easy that you're ready to throw away 
your vows and your commitment that you made in the presence of God. That's what's so terrible. You know? Maybe you've suffered through a tragedy of a divorce and you understand better than anyone else how painful the severity of a marriage is. And our purpose is not to stand in judgment of your past or to make you feel condemned over a situation or over which you may not have had control. You know, sometimes divorce is possible and that it's needed because of uh, of certain things that that are just uh, 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 abusive and uh, uh, overbearing. But whether or not you have been divorced in the past, we want to challenge you concerning your current marriage that you would commit to its permanence. God didn't design marriage to be a, let's see if we like it proposition, but a covenant of a complete commitment to one another and the foundation of commitment will give you the strength to pursue an ever-deepening relationship and to resist the forces that would try to tear you apart. And so I'm glad, each and every one of us, that we see that the ideal of marriage, the bond of marriage, but we're currently talking about the strength of marriage, that we talk that it's based on commitment, but also it's a picture of Christ as love. Because if you're familiar with Genesis, you know that in the chapter Directly after Adam and Eve were married, these same two people disobeyed God. And through their disobedience and sin and death entered the world. The fall, as we commonly refer to it, was so significant that Scripture tells us it affects the reverberant throughout creation itself. And they certainly touch every aspect of all of our lives today because of Romans 8.22. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Every marriage, every marriage since including ours and including yours has been composed of two sinners. Every obstacle that we face in marriage, every misplaced expectation, every fight, every lonely tear, every bitter word, every frustration is the outcome of the fall. But Although marriage itself is a perfect journey, the special creation of God, it is undertaken by an imperfect people like you and I that are out here today. We enter marriage with a longing to experience all that God created it to be, even if we don't fully understand what that means or that it is God who implanted those desires in our hearts but we undertake this journey as sinners married to sinners, and that makes for a bumpy ride. Intricately woven into God's plan, marriage is a picture of his larger plan to redeem mankind, and that is incredible. Your marriage is so much bigger than you, than both of you. It's bigger than your hopes and dreams and fears and struggles. It's bigger than the, uh, the, the, the minute of your daily routines. It's designed by God to be the harmony of two lives. That covenant vows to each other have entered a relationship. Picturing the love, the sacrifice, and the commitment of Christ and the church. Don't miss where this picture comes from. Because after the fall, even as God told Adam and Eve, the punishment of sin was death, physical and spiritual, and that because of sin, they would be banished from the garden and the presence of a holy God. God graciously promised 
that he would send a savior. Because what did he say in Genesis 3.15? Very, very, very familiar scripture. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. And it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. So God took on human flesh. Jesus offered himself as the complete substitute for our sin. And we know that from the Bible that the payment for sin is death, eternal separation from God in what? A lake of fire. That's right. I'm going to tell you, every one of us, we look in Romans 6.20, he said, for the wages of sin is death. But Jesus died in our place and he offers us the full forgiveness of God as a gift. Why? Because this Bible study might be reaching to a spouse that's never asked Jesus Christ to come into their heart and life and to forgive them of their sins. Because he tells us in Romans, these are the Romans roads that I'm reading. He says, but God committed his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Going on down in Romans 6, 23, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He promises that if we will call out to him for salvation, from our sin, putting our trust in him, he will save us, hallelujah. But I thank God in Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Did you hear that? They shall be saved. If you've got guests, if you're not sure that each one that's listening to this Bible study, if you're not sure that you've been saved, you might want to say something along the lines of, if you've not been saved or maybe you're not even sure what that means, I want you to talk with Jesus right now. Personally about this, set up an appointment to meet and to talk about it. But what does all of this have to do with marriage? Are we just reviewing the gospel story? Actually, in God's amazing plan, marriage and the gospel are linked together. Because Paul said in Ephesians 5, For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother, shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ. <clears throat> Sorry about that. And the church. And what we only see in part of the Old Testament marriage is revealed in the New Testament as a mystery which was embedded since <clears throat> the beginning, excuse me, of time into God's purpose that marriage would be a picture of the love Christ has for the church. And that's why Satan so fiercely is attacking your marriage Marriages across America, marriages is in every family. It's the visible representation of the redemption that Satan hates. And this is also why Christian couples in particular must be committed to following God's plan for their marriage. God's plan is not only the best in terms of our happiness, but as Christians, we have added commitment to bringing glory to God. By reflecting the love of Christ in our marriages. You see, undoubtedly, there will be some that will go through listening to this Bible study. Are we there yet? 
Because sometimes that destination, it takes a long time when you go in that direction. But I'm going to tell you, every one of us, to make your marriage better, to reflect the love of Christ, God can use your commitment to receive and to give his love to strengthen your relationship with your spouse and to bring glory to himself. So as we work through this, you may be tempted to think, well, that could work for others, but it couldn't work for me. But when you remember that the big picture, and I say the big picture of Christ and all that Christ wants to do in our lives today, each and every one of us, love showing through you. You know, it really, it adds to the perspective uh, and it gives strength to invest regardless of your spouse's immediate responses. The fact that God entrusts any of us imperfect people to live out the perfect picture of his love is nothing short of an amazing thing. So as we come to a conclusion in our Bible study, as we're talking about uh, on the series, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Now, I'll keep on going. You've got another 100,000 miles to go. But I'm glad that each and every one of us, as we do, we realize that from the first marriage in Genesis chapter 2, that we saw the idea of marriage, that it was created by God. It was designed by God. We saw the bond of marriage because he talks, he says, listen, to make things last, you've got to leave, you've got to cleave, and you've got to weave. Amen. And then for the strength of your marriage, for it to be a strength in a marriage relationship, well, you got to base that on commitment, and then you have a picture, when you do that, of Christ's love. And so many couples want marriage to be like some kind of a big luxury vacation that costs nothing and requires nothing of them. They assume that good marriage, good marriages just happen. And struggling marriages are the result of incompatibility. But you know what? Nobody assumes this in relation to any other area of life. We work hard to develop our skills, to advance in a career, to perfect a hobby, even to plan a vacation. Good marriage, good marriages also take work. They require the purposeful pursuit of one another's heart, the willingness to give and to receive total acceptance and unconditional love and a commitment to oneness for a lifetime. And as we work through this Bible study, are we there yet? Over the next coming weeks, our goal is not to have great marriages with no effort. It is to discover that through God's word, how to direct our efforts so that our marriages are the awesome weaving together of two lives that God intends for them to be. Truth be told, no couple has arrived in their marriage. Are we there yet? No, you're not. We're not there yet. You're not there yet. But as we continue our study, this Bible study of marriage, we'll all be encouraged to continue on the journey. And I thank God to be able to enjoy um, this journey of marriage because remember when you look at the dream destination the dream destination for all of us is all about your direction 
It's all about your direction, amen. And so I thank God to be able to have the idea of marriage, the bond of marriage, and the strength of marriage. Uh, as uh, we get ready and as we close out and ask you uh, to be uh, that person about committing your lives and being able as you commit yourself that each and every one of us uh, as we go through and try to do the very best that we can with our lives, amen, that as uh, we commit ourselves uh, to one another and give our love one to another, each and every one of us can be proud to know that maybe before you know it, 30 years have gone by, 50 years have gone by, 70 years have gone by, amen, because every one of us, marriage itself is a destination, that's what couples begin marriage with an idea. But I'm going to tell you something. We begin to discover that as wonderful as marriage may be, it's more of a journey than it is a destination. Father, we thank you for your many blessings. Lord, we pray for our families and our marriages and for those who have gone through the trauma of divorce for children who are growing up without a father, for single moms who face the challenge of parenting alone. And I pray that you would bring comfort and direction to all who feel unloved. Stir the hearts of your people that they may be agents of love and hope and that we will seek your plans for our role in your kingdom and in our culture of marriage. Give us courage to speak the truth in love. May our lifestyle demonstrate that we're followers of Christ and Lord, we pray for our nation. We pray for our churches and our families. We pray for our workers and we pray for the many that come before. May you energize and bless each and every one of our marriages across America and protect them from the evil one, from Satan, and protect our love of our American heritage and our religious liberties as parents in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.